Dawn and Steve are joined by Alyssa Childers for the deconstruction of Christianity. What is it? Why is it destructive? And how should we respond? Get in touch anytime, 800-555-7898. All right, so if I throw the word deconstruction at you, I'm <laughs> guessing you probably already have some sort of visceral reaction, at least on some level. I do. I do. It, it usually starts with sadness. Uh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, a lot of people maybe know someone who has gone through some deconstruction of their faith of some sort. And Alyssa Childers is joining us to talk about the deconstruction of Christianity. But before we really dive deep into anything we're going to get into this morning, uh, I want to start with the definition so that we're all on the same page here this morning. And we know what we're talking about when we use this word definition. How are you describing that this morning, Alyssa? Well, it's great to be back with you guys. And that's that's the key question, right? That's the million-dollar question because one of the things that my co-author Tim and I realized when we were researching for this book is that in the evangelical church, people are defining that word to mean everything from changing your mind on a secondary issue of doctrine all the way to leaving the faith. And it's just this accordion word that means just about everything. And so we, it occurred to us, if it means everything, it means nothing. It has to mean something, right? And so what I think uh, we realized is that a lot of people who are using the word to mean maybe changing your mind or engaging doubts, or maybe even going through a faith crisis and rethinking your faith, a lot of people are using the word deconstruction because they're thinking of it just how the word sounds. Like you have a construct of belief, you're just kind of taking it apart, checking it out, making sure all the pieces are right, and then putting back your worldview together in a way that, you know, fits the Bible that fits reality. Um, And I have total sympathy for people who use the word that way. But what we discovered in our research is that where this is manifesting in culture is largely online, away from churches, and it's connected to postmodern philosophy. And because of those two things, we don't use the word deconstruction to describe maybe a biblical process of discernment, of, of testing everything, of holding fast to what is true, engaging doubts. We use the word deconstruction to mean, and this is our definition in the book, a postmodern process of rethinking your faith, but not regarding scripture as a standard, because that's how it's manifesting in culture, and that's how it's connected to its postmodern roots. Postmodernism is, by definition, what, Alyssa? So postmodernism is is a lot of things. It was a reaction to the uh, post-Enlightenment uh, rationalism, but it's, you know, it, it's just a big fancy word that basically means a rejection of the idea that absolute truth exists and can be known when it comes to religion and morality. And that's really what drives the deconstruction movement. Now, I'm certainly not saying there couldn't be somebody out there that's saying, I'm in deconstruction, and yet they're going to the Bible. Certainly, that that is that exists out there. But what we would say to that person is, that's great. I'm glad that you're rethinking your faith, you're making your faith your own. But let's use a better word. Let's use reformation. That's the word we're, we're offering in the book. Uh, because deconstruction really is a shift of authority from uh, objective of truth, an external truth authority to the self. So in deconstruction, you're rethinking your faith, but it's all according to what resonates with you, what you just with your own internal moral compass think are beliefs that are helpful or harmful, toxic or uh, unhealthy, um, uh, healthy or toxic, helpful, harmful. These are the kinds of words that you see in the deconstruction hashtag, but they're not rooted in objective truth. They're rooted in the own person's uh, moral compass that they're just determining, you know, what, what feels right to me. 
Mm-hmm. So objective truth that's found in Scripture, the truth that as Christ followers we are to be standing on, is that what is being identified as toxic theology or is there a difference? Yes. Now that's a really great question because you're going to see the term toxic theology over and over and over again. And somebody might say, oh, it's toxic to believe that um, you can oppress people. Well, I think we would all agree that that's toxic to think you can oppress people. But what often gets conflated with that word is um, it's very often taught that to be told you are a sinner is a toxic and actually abusive belief. Uh, the idea that Jesus died on a bloody cross, taking your sins upon himself in the mind of the deconstruction movement, that's a toxic belief. That's pagan. That's what uh, the pagan religions believe, that you had to have a blood sacrifice or something like that. God is more kind and merciful than that. Uh, so certainly some truly toxic beliefs get tied up in that in that knot, but along with it go really core components of the historic Christian gospel. So in deconstruction, they don't care where you land. They don't care if you become an atheist, an agnostic, a progressive Christian, whatever it might be. In fact, they will, there's video after video saying this, don't make a goal. I don't care where you land. But the point is to leave these toxic beliefs, and the toxic beliefs are most often the core gospel of historic Christianity. So as long as you leave that, you can go wherever you want and it doesn't matter. Um, and in fact, it, what's so interesting about the postmodern element of not landing on an objective truth is there's video after video in that hashtag saying, you know, don't reform any kind of belief. If you if you hold to a belief, you're just going to have to deconstruct that. So the point is sort of to live in this endless agnosticism, this endless questioning, endless doubt that never finds a, re- a resolution. It smacks of the enemy. It does. Yeah. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> Kill, steal, destroy, coming after truth and helping us in our finite minds to go, oh, maybe that makes more sense. And yet God calls us to follow him as the way, the truth, and the life. So the deconstruction of Christianity, what it is, why it's destructive, and then how to respond is what Alyssa Childers is helping us to do alongside the co-author Tim Barnett Connecting you to this, of course, our Facebook page. It's Don and Steve in the morning. Looking at definitions of what deconstruction is and toxic theology. Now, exvangelical, that one is not as familiar to me as those other two terms. Alyssa Childers with a brand new book alongside Tim Barnett, just talking about this deconstruction of Christianity. Exvangelical, is it as simple as it seems? It, it really is not. Sadly, it is very much not a simple word. So that's a hashtag, exvangelical, that's often used in conjunction with, synonymously even with, the deconstruction hashtag online. And you would think it just means, you know, not evangelical anymore, right? Um, that's not exactly what it means because people don't tend to use that hashtag if, let's say, they grow up Southern Baptist and they convert to Catholicism or, you know, Eastern Orthodoxy or something. They're not using the exvangelical hashtag for that, even though that would be a more literal way of saying exvangelical. Um, and so it really depends on what someone thinks the word evangelical means, because ultimately in the deconstruction hashtag, that's what they're leaving, is what they deem to be evangelical faith. The problem with the word evangelical is that it's kind of like the word deconstruction, that people use it to mean almost anything. They might align politically with something, so they call themselves evangelical. In fact, some of the recent studies that have come out about the beliefs of evangelicals, the problems with those studies is that 
all it takes to be considered evangelical for that study is to say that you're evangelical. So it's like a self-professed thing, but it doesn't really mean anything. Um, so classically, people have thought of evangelical with the quadrilateral. It's, you know, emphasis on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, biblical authority, personal conversion, and evangelism. Well, if that's what evangelical means, yes, I'm an evangelical, right? Mm -hmm. But most people in the ex-evangelical hashtag and the deconstruction hashtag, when you say evangelical, they just think God, guns, and Trump. That's that's pretty much what that means to them. And so what they might be throwing out from that side of it gets tangled up with the other four things, the personal conversion, the emphasis on the cross, all of that. And it all gets thrown out together because they truly see the evangelical movement as a very toxic, almost cultish kind of uh, movement that it's, you know, it's positive and beneficial to get away from. And so that kind of brings us back to our definitions, like doesn't matter where you land as long as you leave that place. And so uh, the ex-evangelical hashtag was started by a guy named Blake Chastain a few years ago. And he um, he sort of framed it in a, a way of saying, you know, evangelical means homophobic. It means um you know, white supremacists, there's racism. So there's a lot of things tied into the word evangelical for the ex-evangelical hashtag. And so that was what the tough part of the book, because it's like, okay, well, if you want to say you're, you're this or you're that, it's like, well, here's what Christianity teaches. That's what it seems to be that you are taking issue with and calling that evangelical. So there, it requires untying a lot of knots with words. It's 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 it was not an easy task. That that chapter was actually one of the hardest ones to write. I would imagine it was. And you know, if we're not really given some mental capacity and space to this conversation, it can be super easy to get confused. And especially maybe if we've got somebody in our life who does appear to be going through some form of deconstruction, and they are wrestling through issues, and they are really questioning the authority of Scripture, and they're wondering, as they look at the landscape of the world, is God truly good? And and we may kind of struggle to know how to engage well with that. So if we have people in our lives who are even self-professed deconstructionists, how would you encourage us to begin to have healthy dialogue with them? Well, I think and we dedicated a whole chapter to this question in the book because it's such an important question. In fact, it's the number one question I receive when I go out and speak at women's conferences in different places is how is it, how do I walk with somebody yeah. in my life who's who's going through this? And the first thing you want to do is if they're if they've told you they're in deconstruction, I suspect that maybe they're doing more of like a reformation because typically with the deconstruction uh, movement, they're not going to tell you about it. They're going to probably start distancing themselves from all their church friends and family and maybe even officially disconnecting. A lot of times families receive no contact letters. You're a toxic person. You're an unsafe person. And then they find community online. So if they've told you they're deconstructing, my first piece of advice would be ask them what they mean by that word. Because you could have a high school kid come home from camp, renewed in the Lord and very excited to study the Bible for himself. And he might have heard that word deconstruction and say, mom and dad, I'm deconstructing my faith. And mom and dad start to panic. Don't start to panic. Ask him what he means. He might just mean, I really want to make my faith my own and make sure. And you know what? I don't know why I believe the Bible is God's word. I don't know if I believe that it's truthful. And that's okay. And that's a good and healthy process for him to go through if he's pursuing truth. But I might just encourage him to use a different word that's not so connected to postmodernism and a rejection of truth. So that would be the first thing. Now, if there's somebody in your life who is deconstructing in the movement kind of way where they have 
you know, they've probably already decided that you're a toxic and unsafe person. So what we say in the book is a little counterintuitive for Christians, but, and that is that you have permission to back off and not try to fix their theology right away. Because right now it's like you have to assess the most urgent need. And that might be to just maintain relationship with this person because the impetus to cut off their church friends and even family is very strong. So it's okay to back off, not try to fix them, um, stay in their life, model the beauty of the gospel in front of them. You don't, you don't have to change, you know, your, your convictions on anything, but it's okay to back off. Off a little bit and just try to maintain that relationship. Melissa Childers with us as we talk about the deconstruction of Christianity. She's co-author of that book, and uh, we're linking you to that through our Facebook page. On Facebook, you're just looking for Don and Steve in the morning. Maybe you have a question or comment, feel free to text in this morning at 800-555-7898. More with Alyssa coming up in a few minutes. Author Alyssa Childers with us as we talk about the deconstruction of Christianity. And uh, Alyssa, certainly we have people listening who have people in their lives who have deconstructed. Not the reconstruction, but the, like the actual literal, the way we're using the, the term deconstruction. They walked away from the faith. They say they no longer believe what they grew up saying that they believed. And you've got moms and dads and grandparents listening this morning who are saying, I'm scared about this. I feel hopeless. I don't know really how to re-engage in a, a way because anytime I try and bring it up, they just shut me down or threaten to cut me off. What, what do I do with that? Mm. And that's such a tough question because I can't tell you night after night how many times uh, an elderly couple has come up to me with tears in their eyes saying, my adult child has deconstructed. They won't let us see our grandkids. They tell us we're toxic. I know that many of our listeners this morning are hearing me say that going, that's me. That's my story. And so one of the things that we really wanted to do in the book is end with hope because there is hope. We have to remember that God is sovereign. God is in control. We do not need to fear. It's not like God is up in heaven going, oh my goodness, everybody's leaving the faith. What should I do? God is in control of this. And I suspect, this is just my own personal opinion, but I suspect that God is going to use this phenomenon of deconstruction to bring people to himself that might have grown up in the church, that might have liked Christian culture, that might understand the language, that might even believe have believed some of the right things, but never truly trusted personally in Jesus for their salvation. I think he's going to use this to bring them to him. Uh, maybe getting to the bottom of that deconstruction hashtag, which I've been to the bottom of that rainbow. There is no pot of gold. And there's a really good chance that at some point your loved one is going to realize there's no pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. And then they're going to look to you. They're going to go back to you because realizing that all of their quote unquote friends in this deconstruction hashtag did not love them uh, enough to tell them the truth and to give them the life-saving cure of the gospel. And they're going to come back to you for that. So I would say, have hope, know that God is in control, and don't underestimate the power of prayer. You are not without any power because you can always dedicate time every single day to pray for your loved one, to um, ask God for very specific things as far as mountains that you want to see moved in that relationship and in that person's life. And so don't lose hope. Know that God is in control. His word is true. Uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Stay engaged, stay in their life, pray, and have hope knowing that that God God has got this.
Now, with staying in their lives, are there some misconceptions about the deconstruction movement now that would be helpful for us to know as Christ followers that want to be there but are not quite sure how to hang on to the truth of the word and show up for those people that are completely living opposite of what the word says? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's there are some things to know because you have to really understand the nature of deconstruction if you're going to be in relationship with someone that you suspect is in that process. And okay, so think about it this way. You know, we mentioned the postmodern influence on this. If you're a postmodern person and you don't believe that objective truth can be known when it comes to religion and morality, then the Christian comes along claiming to know what it is. First of all, you're going to think they're arrogant. You're going to think they're, they have ulterior motives because if you don't think that can be known, and then the Christian is saying, hey, you're a sinner, you need salvation, there's a place called hell, there's judgment, you're thinking, well, you're not interacting on the level of, is what they're saying true? You're going to be wondering why they would be saying those things. And so that's why many of your listeners probably have gone on social media or with a loved one and said something along the lines of some kind of gospel truth. And somebody says, you know, the church just invented the doctrine of hell to control people with fear. Many people have probably seen that or heard that. That's because there's a rejection of the idea that you could even know something like that. So you would only be saying it if you're trying to control people, if you're trying to prop up an institution of oppression. And so that I think it's really important to understand what's going on in the mind of the deconstructionist. And it's also important to understand that there are a lot of different triggers that can intersect to propel somebody into the process of deconstruction. Church hurt is huge. Um, Perceived hypocrisy in the church, moral failings of leaders, and then maybe the mishandling of the moral failures of leaders. Um, Politics, so many of these things intersect and kind of build upon one another And then those triggers and crises are going to interact with someone's faith foundation, which could be all sorts of different things. And so I think that's why you could have two people grow up in the same home, have the same church experience, have the same pastors, and then a crisis hits, one deconstructs, and the other one goes headlong into Christ. And I think that's because there's so many different intersections. It's a very complicated um, process. So I think understanding that is is key to, to dealing with it in the relationships that you may have. What a good word, Alyssa Childers, the deconstructive Christianity, what it is, why it's destructive, and how to respond. And I so appreciate that there's a whole chapter on hope, because you're right, God is still on his throne. He's still at work in our lives, in our loved ones' lives, and prayer is power. It is Christ's power at work. Oh, it's a big, big, big conversation, and it's one that is in the hands of Almighty Sovereign God. Meanwhile, as he's working out his plan, Alyssa Childers, what do we do as the church? We think we want to follow him. And then this deconstruction movement, truly the movement, not the reformation of someone's faith, but deconstruction of Christianity, we have to be able to identify, and we're working on terms as well as how destructive this movement is and responding. Now, I want to go back to the response because I think that's where our families are really, really suffering, where we want to continue to follow the Lord, but these things are happening in our kids' lives, our grandkids' lives, and we tend, at least in conversations I've been having, we tend to kind of either give up and just keep going to church or maybe watch church online because we want to be seen as relevant to our family members or we lose that connection with them altogether. Is there a place in time where we have to say, okay, 
uh, hands off, Lord, you've got them. And I can't keep this relationship at the moment. Is that ever Mm. something that we should consider? Oh, I I do think so. Yeah. In fact, one of the things we talk about in the book is that it's very complicated relationally when you have someone who's truly in deconstruction. And, you know, we talked before the break about kind of backing off and just trying to stay in their life. But there could come a point in time when, depending on the relationship, and that's the thing that's so important uh, to realize as well, because how you're going to navigate this like, let's say it's a spouse. If you have a spouse who's deconstructing, you're going to have to navigate that relationship a little bit differently than you would if you're a parent of a teenager who's deconstructing. That's going to be a totally different dynamic. And that's going to be different if you're an elderly parent who has an adult child who's deconstructing. That's going to be different. I, I even had a high school girl stand up in a Q&A when I was speaking one night, and she said, my parents are deconstructing their faith, and I want to know how I can still honor them as my parents but not lose my own faith. Wow. I mean, there are so many different relationship dynamics going on. And so um, for spouses, for example, you're not going to be able to, you know, probably walk away from that relationship like you might if it's just a friend. Like if you're a college kid and you're you've got three friends in you're all away at college and they're in deconstruction and it's eroding your own faith and you can sense that and you're like, I'm not I'm not able to handle this. It is absolutely okay for you to tell your friends, look, I need to press the pause button on all conversations about God right now because I need to get my legs under me. I need to know what I believe, and I need to process that outside of this echo chamber for a little while. It is absolutely okay. And if they don't respect that boundary, it's really okay to back off from that relationship because you don't want anything to begin to erode your own faith. Now, again, if you're a spouse, you may not be able, you know, you can ask for a boundary there with your spouse. Like, can we press the pause button on these conversations? Because it's it's really troubling me. It's distressing me. I need to be able to stop and pause for a moment and process what we've already talked about. Because that's huge too. Another thing in the deconstruction movement is they can throw so many things at you that you would never be able to even answer all the things that they brought up in a 30-minute conversation. And so it's really okay to say, look, you've brought up about five things that I need to go research a little bit. I need to go take some time with. So can we press the pause button on this? And again, it's okay to draw boundaries, and it's okay to respect any boundaries they may have drawn. I have someone in my life who uh, has deconstructed, been deconstructing for 10 years, and has told me, I do not want to talk about religion with you. And so I have respected that boundary and tried to connect in other ways. So it's okay to draw boundaries. And it's okay to respect boundaries. And yes, to answer your question, Don, it is okay if you need to back off of a relationship for your own health, your own spiritual and mental health. It is perfectly okay to do that. You are not the Messiah. You are not the Holy Spirit. It's not all on you, as we talk about in the book as well. You know, in the last minute or so that we have, I'm thinking of those parents who do have kids at home under their roof still, and they are seeing the red flags, and they are seeing their kids heading that direction. And I think as a parent, I want my kid to, in a sense, wrestle with their questions because I want them to own their faith. But as you talked about earlier, we need to make sure that Scripture is a part of you know, the the source that they're going to to find answers for those questions. So how would you guide that parent who still has kids under their roof where they can yes. still have that authority over them? This is the greatest question because this is going to be a different answer than it would be in almost any other relationship. And my personal advice to any parent, if you have a kid in deconstruction, I guarantee you they're on social media. 
because this is a social media phenomenon. And if you still have them under your roof, you can actually do a detox, which is probably what they need because this is a very cult-like mentality. A lot of propaganda, a lot of false information. I would do a complete social media and internet blackout for your teen child. And then what I would do as a matter of discipleship is pull a TikTok video that you can disciple them through and say, hey, we're gonna watch this video, let's talk about it. And find one, talk about um, what the deconstructionist is saying, process it, and then get the word into your kids' lives. Have a dedicated time where you're reading through the Bible, but also modeling how to process what's happening online so that when they go out on their own, they're able to have those tools. Alyssa Childers with us. She has written the book, The Deconstruction of Christianity, and we want to connect you with her and this book. And so we've got a link on our Facebook page. You can start there on Facebook. You're just looking for Don and Steve in the morning.